0: This is Smarter Cars, a podcast about autonomous vehicles. This is the finish line. The Stanford Racing Team has made its way into the history books.
1: But the most important thing for me is uh, it actually doesn't matter who comes first. It matters that we as a, as a community achieve it. Early in the technology, uh, a thousand
0: flowers should bloom. Welcome back to Season 2 of Smarter Cars. This is your host, Michelle Kyrouz. In this episode, we talk with Kassar Yunus and Matthew Colford of Applied Intuition, which is a company building advanced simulation and infrastructure tools for the autonomous vehicle industry. Kassar is a founder and the CEO of Applied Intuition, and Matt leads their policy work. We discuss the role simulation plays in developing autonomous vehicles, the challenges around validating and testing AV software, and the safety and policy implications. Cassar and Matthew, uh, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Great. Thanks for having us. Great. at Cassar. for those who don't know, maybe you could start by telling us a little bit about Applied Intuition and the problems you're trying to solve and services you're offering.
1: Yeah. Um, we're, we are an uh, advanced simulation company. Uh, we sell uh, the products and infrastructure that uh, autonomous vehicle companies need. In order to develop their algorithms and uh, to get their products to market faster. Uh, at a high level, if you're, you know, if you have your Silicon Valley hat on, we're an infrastructure company. If you have your automotive hat on, we're a supplier, software supplier. Um, and the types of products that we have built and and supplied to the industry uh, are uh, products that help uh, um, both, as I've mentioned, develop your algorithms, but also ensure safety of your of your uh, autonomy stack. Um, more specifically simulation is a pretty large field uh, in itself and so it can be a bit more specific we we provide uh, multiple types uh, of simulation so we do uh, both uh, what is generally considered quote-unquote perception simulation which is really sensor simulation uh, we do planning and drive policy and, and uh, as well uh, along with those i would say core sim products there's infrastructure around them so a continuous integration framework um, a framework to uh, use drive data uh, in, in your simulator uh, and all the scenario creation and editing capabilities uh, which feed into the simulator. So uh, a fairly robust suite of products. We're, we're, we're super niche technical company. Um, so for some people, that's really exciting, for other people, their eyes kind of glaze over. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we're excited about it. So uh, we'll, we'll dive into to all of those, uh, those pieces of it. Um, just to get started at a, at a high level, um, it seems like a number of big companies in the space have created their own simulation services in-house. And then there are some other companies now doing what you're doing with simulation as a, a separate service. I think NVIDIA just announced they're doing it. How does implied intuition uh, win in this market against these competitors? What are your kind of differentiating factors?
1: Yeah, I think uh, as, a, as a kind of market sector as a whole, there is, um, you know, precedence here that this is ultimately something that is bought off the shelf. Infrastructure as a whole is something that's ultimately um, any 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 part of a, a, a software second we're not only talking about autonomy we can use mobile as an example you can use an internet and, and desktop as an example as examples anytime multiple companies have to kind of do that same undifferentiated heavy lifting and building a sim product is heavy lifting so you know 30 to 50 engineers over multiple years um, there's uh, some uh, structural advantages of buying that because we as a company can go to uh, uh, a company that's consuming and using this infrastructure and say, Hey, we can provide you best of breed for a cost. That's a lot cheaper than building in house. And by the way, since we work with lots of different companies at different levels of sophistication, we can kind of see around the corner of the things that you, you need to do. We, we, uh, there's a, we, we never talk about our customers just because the confidential nature of the business we're in. We, we supply really to everybody in the industry. Uh, but you could have an example where, uh, there's a very specific example of where there's a, there's a large uh, company working in AV that had done a lot of work in simulation and ultimately had to tear a lot of it down because they, they didn't know, um, some of the scaling uh, issues that would happen. Uh, they're, they're, and so that's one example of why just being—it's it, fundamentally out. So that's one kind of clear example of why uh, outsourcing fundamentally makes sense here. There's other precedents. An automotive simulation is not new at all. It's a very established field. You have large companies. Ansys is one of them, a fifteen billion dollar public uh, simulation company. So there's precedents that this is ultimately not done in house. If you talk to the most advanced AV providers um, in the industry who have gone down the path of starting to build their own systems we have worked with a provider who had built up a uh, build an in-house system put a lot of resources against it and then we've migrated onto onto our infrastructure they'll all say to you very clearly We don't want to build this. There's just no good solution out there. And uh, I think we, we provide, you know, that. And so let's talk about what is a good solution. Uh, That's such a broad term. Uh, This is ultimately a very technical product. And unlike, you know, I was an investor before, and one of the adages of, of, uh, inventor investing, especially in consumer is more features do not equal, uh, you know, more usage or better product. (laughs) Tools are very different. Um, Mm -hmm. and you need a certain minimum. Uh, feature set, which already is very high. And then things like we very much focused on, uh, are things, uh, like what's the most important, uh, thing or what's the biggest hurdle that we need to make sure we overcome? And one of the obvious ones is integration. How long will it take, uh, uh for applied to integrate our product suite into uh, an AV stack? And, uh, we've been, in, you know, we've, we've architected our software in a way that it's, it, that is a very, very painless uh, process, and that is a huge advantage. And I think, you know, our buyers are not buying software uh, very willy-nilly. You know, selling, uh, selling software to software companies is a challenging um, business because your, your buyers are engineers themselves who innately are always going to think, well, I, I, can, I can probably build this. And so you have to have a very compelling product um that is easy to integrate, is maintained, it's documented, it's clean interfaces. It's a really high bar and we're we're lucky to have hit that bar uh and and, and the company's you know you know doing really well because of it uh uh uh, and so at a high level uh that's why kind of the in-house versus the external question. Um now the question the secondary question you asked well what about NVIDIA? Um you know it's difficult to speak about each of these companies specifically um, you know, we, we, we think highly of NVIDIA and they're, they're a competent company. But uh, at the heart of NVIDIA, they're not a simulation company. And, and, you know, I spent a bunch of years at Google and I, I can tell you, you know, we just recently, Google just announced, um, that Google Plus was being shut down. And, you know, Google saw Facebook come. Google's this giant with the best engineers on the planet in the late 2000s. With billions of dollars at disposal and high-margin business, and they saw Facebook coming. Facebook comes, gets as big as you know, and 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 then and passes Google and social. And so, if Google can do, why why couldn't they do it? Is really the question.
0: Yeah.
1: Why couldn't Google? And so it's because Google is fundamentally not a social company. And so I, I don't want to extend that too too broadly to Nvidia or any other player, but fundamentally we're a simulation company. Uh, so we have built everything custom in house. Uh, to to really to really create that best of breed product i mean we have a very kind of unflinching goal uh, at the company which is our product uh, and our infrastructure should be so good that the companies that are not using us are falling behind and that's a pretty serious statement and it co- comes with a, a lot of weight and i think if for any engineer who's listening uh in the you know to the podcast you kind of roll your eyes and like well that's got a, that's a real tall you know tall order but i think that's what we're trying to do that's what we're we're in business for so these existing players and you can go to the other players that are in the industry there are a lot of great technical companies out there uh V-Raz and Dspace you know, we already mentioned Ansys um, all of them are were fundamentally built for something slightly different than what we are we are a uh, autonomy simulation company full stop and uh, also the last point i said is a very long answer so there's a last <laughs> I, I want to say here uh, about uh, about the market and the dynamics markets we use technologies that didn't exist uh, just a few years ago and whether that's uh, obvious things like uh, 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 that any, any uh, think engineer would immediately recognize that like kubernetes and webGL to to kind of more uh, uh, smaller and more custom, um, software innovations that have happened, uh, within the, the subspace of, of simulation over the last couple of years. And we've baked all of that into the product. And so we literally can do things that other folks can't do. And, um, and I think that's really important to highlight. If you're working in a code base, which is even five years old, uh, that can, that can preclude you from building a very compelling product. And make no mistake about it. This business is in uh, providing infrastructure to AV companies. It's purely about the product. Um, the, the, uh, it doesn't matter how well you're known or, or, or uh, how big your brand is or how, how many, you know, how, how big your market cap is. The, the engineers who are buying the product, uh, have to be compelled through the product and, and nothing else. And so that's why we're very much focused on, on being the best, uh, in, in product. Super long answer. That's uh...
0: okay. <laughs> we, uh, we, we like it. Um, so, tell us a little bit about what the product actually looks like. It's a, a like a vir- looks like a virtual world. Uh, how is it different from uh, Grand Theft Auto? Uh, are there a number of driving scenarios programmed in? Yeah. Take us through it.
1: So it looks much more like a, um, you know, an engineering tool than it does look like uh, something like a Grand Theft Auto or just like a virtual world. Uh, The analogy I think is a very good one uh, of a Grand Theft Auto or like the Matrix, the movie where you have, but really the reason it kind of falls apart is human beings and robots are fundamentally different. We. As humans, you, we can't we can't really isolate our you know individual senses, our, our, our hearing from our eyes, from from taste. You can close your eyes and pretend you you can't see, but it's, it's not the same thing. Whereas a robot, you have all these distinct parts of the uh, of the of the self-driving stack. Let's just say for for uh, for ease of use, and so that whether that's perception, prediction, planning, controls, um, you can simulate each individual layer independently. And the reason you want to do this is uh, our company applied as. Uh, kind of, if you're, it was, it was, it was a cake, the ingredients would be kind of three quarters Googlers, one quarter automotive folks. Uh, that's also my background as well. I spent, uh, a bunch of years uh, at General Motors and at Bosch. I went to GMI for undergrad. Uh, and then I worked at, you know, uh, Google and Y Combinator and, and, and startups. And so very much, uh, traditional Silicon Valley. And so, but the, uh, the, the, the point here really being, um, when each of those, each of those layers, you can, simulate independently, and that really, if you're a software engineer, it's really you're you're creating essentially unit tests or integration tests because you're trying to identify uh, uh, issues that are very specific. If you did the whole world, let's say, and something doesn't work or there's a bug, it's hard to debug. So I think analogously, the virtual world, uh, air quotes, is correct, but practically it's, it's not that. It's much more an engineering tool that's very specific. To individual scenarios and individual sensors, and 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 the use cases you're trying to figure out. If you're a self-driving truck company, our product is, is different than if you're a uh, self-driving car company, or if you're in you know if you're in construction, or if you're in agriculture, or or, or another autonomous uh, vertical.
0: So, when you think about there being different things that you're testing, as you're saying, different for trucks or. Uh, different uh, variables that people want to test. Are you testing also things like weather and daylight or, you know, road conditions uh, and things like that?
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, and yes, so uh, we do that. And there are ways, uh, you know, there there are ways to do that for different sensors again. Uh, That's why I think when I say air quotes of perception simulation and why that's slightly a misnomer is, because really, you're testing individual sensors, and we do, you know, we do fairly uh, robust sensor simulation. So one way to think about simulation as a whole, I mean, it's I think again, if you're 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 an engineer, you understand there there are uh, uh, um, trade-offs for every decision you make. There there is no perfect uh, optimized solution, and so when you go into very high fidelity sensor simulation. Uh, and the easiest one to kind of think of is, is a is a camera, which is better, you know, which is indistinguishable, as a in human eye doesn't doesn't really exist. But let's for the sake of argument. Uh, well, that con- consumes a significant amount of computational uh, um, resources. Uh, and so that's expensive, in other words. And so. That kind of knobbing of, or like you know, a volume knob of fidelity is something that's very important um, in simulation, regardless of what part of the stack you're playing in. And so, a really well designed product has kind of those knobs to change the fidelity um, depending on what use case you're you're working at. You're 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 working at. So, at a high level, yes, you know, weather and and terrain and all these things, uh, topography. It is something that's that's all possible uh, within our simulated environments, um, but there, it's it's a more nuanced uh, it's a more nuanced actually uh, tool because you you don't want to do fully rendered worlds for every single scenario. It, it's not a, a good use of computational resources. And when you're starting to do really large simulate a, a large amount of simulations, um, and this is this is where our continuous integration product really comes in. It can get very expensive, and so we work with our. You know, with our customers to make sure that those, how do you, how do you optimize, uh, you know, your infrastructure, you're not paying crazy bills. Um, you now you mentioned uh, NVIDIA earlier, so just kind of a, a quick kind of jump off there. NVIDIA has very different goals, right? They almost want you to consume GPUs. And so that's one example of where the, you, you, when you're hammer, everything's a nail. And for us, we're a simulation, you know, for autonomous vehicle hammer. So we're very, we're very specific for AVs. We're not, you know, we're not selling GPS or something else. And again, I, I, no, no disrespect. I, I know the NVIDIA folks. They're they're very competent. Uh, but that's that's just an example of why a purpose built vehicle. For instance, we're we're a custom simulation engine. We don't we don't use someone else's engine, and, and that allows us. Uh, to do a lot of things technically that other folks can't—that's hard to do—to to build engines from scratch that for a brand new application is is not trivial. It requires uh, roughly like a quarter of our team is PhDs, uh, in, you know, who really know simulation specifically very very deeply. And so, uh, yeah, that's—I uh, don't know if that directly answered your question, but at a high level, yes, we uh, we do we do we do uh, you know road grades and, and things like that for sure.
0: Got it. So, it seems like you're saying that really the way we should think about simulation is uh, sort of separately for each piece of the AV stack, like there might be a failure of perception where it doesn't recognize that's a person walking a bike or a failure to predict another car is not going to stop and that those are kind of individual pieces of the stack and, and you're testing those basically separately?
1: Yeah, you, you now you can do them together again. It's all about computational uh, uh, efficiency. Uh, but yes, you I uh, just in terms of debugging and um, understanding how uh, you know what your autonomy stack is doing. So roughly at a high level, we when your autonomy stack is uh, you know is is connected to our simulator, the autonomy stack doesn't recognize if it's running in the real world or if it's in a simulator. And so that's very powerful because you can really almost uh you can you can debug in, in 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 real time and the example of the vast majority of our customers the way that they used uh, our products is side by side with their actual development tools and so they're making some changes to their autonomy uh software they're uh and then they're testing it immediately in simulation seeing what the reactions are and then back and forth and so uh and yes and so you're doing smaller parts but now there are times where you do want to do more of a kind of an end-to-end test um, and you know we, we that's available. it's again, it's just more computationally uh, uh, intensive, and when you're doing simulations at scale, cost really becomes an important uh, consideration the the now of course dry, uh, you know testing on real vehicles is way more expensive and much more dangerous and and can can be a, a brand uh, can be a real brand hit uh, uh, and, and and of course a liability, just a legal liability. Um, but there's still a cost that can become very, very prohibitively expensive uh, once you get to scale.
0: So what does the customer bring to you then in order to use, uh, the simulation product? Do they have to have on-road driving experience or data from real world testing? Um, what do they need to get started using your product?
1: So definitely, um, the, 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 the answer to the direct answer to that, because I, I get very long answers, so I'll, uh, <laughs> I've, I've been over my many years of uh, doing things like this. I always get feedback afterwards. Like, try not to give ten minute answers. <laughs> uh, I always get to the uh, get to the really really needed greedy. but at a high level, just answer the question directly. No, you don't. You don't need real uh, world data. However, what I would say, there's a kind of big asterisk. There's you're developing any production AV system, and again, we're, we're not talking about the research case. Some folks use our simulator for interesting research uh, uh, work uh, at, you know, whether it's a university or a research lab. Um, for production vehicles, you definitely you definitely want to actually have physical vehicles because you ultimately do want to test your AV stack on, on the roads. Uh, I, I think, you know, fairly confidently say you can't only do uh, this in simulation. You still do want physical. Now, there's another reason beyond just testing uh, that you want uh, vehicles driving around is because it's a great way to capture tons of scenarios and tons of experience uh, tons of things that your vehicle sees and 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 we have a set of tools that allow you to get the most out of that drive data so um the answer is no you, you don't need to we, we we allow and we have customers definitely who uh, don't have vehicles and are just starting off and are just using the synthetic environments and synthetic scenarios um but ultimately you know our kind of best Best practices is you're gonna you're gonna use both real drive data and a, a synthetic data.
0: So what do you do with the real drive data? You know, I'm driving around the roads in Mountain View, and I've got you know all these uh, these drives recorded. Are you identifying edge cases, or what are you doing with the the real world driving data?
1: Yeah, I think I think that's a, that's a part of it. Uh, there's a uh, there's there there's a, a lot of value. Let's let's just even leave simulation out of the conversation What why would you drive a vehicle, uh, you know down El Camino? Um, there's there's you're getting data for uh, training sets you're getting data for uh, just to seeing how your stack is behaving in different environments with uh, different scenarios all of that all of those benefits uh, you can ultimately put in also for, you can also get kind of a double double benefit of, uh, in simulation. So, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, identifying edge cases. It's testing your stack. Um, it's, 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 it's both it's simulation and physical driving go hand in hand. I, I think, I think, uh, physical, uh, you know, a uh, vehicle research, uh, vehicles driving out there and testing go, go hand in hand. And, and I think. Generally, our recommendation again for best practices, we we work with uh, really across the industry, both you know uh, Silicon Valley companies and companies that are that are in Detroit and Pittsburgh and in Europe and and in Asia, uh, small and large organizations. Kind of best practices are are you know are 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 that. And 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 one of the advantages we have is because we work with so many customers, is we can make sure. Our customers are kind of approaching simulation in the right way. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, any other tool. Um, it can be used very effectively with, with consideration and in the right hands. And other, for other people, you know, they, 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 they wouldn't be able to extract that much value out of it if they're not using best practices and, you know, and are trying to solve very specific problems. But I think the point that you're trying to really get towards is, um, what's the workflow? And uh, and uh, how does the work? How does the workflow of physical driving relate to simulation? And I think it, it's it's back and forth. It's back and forth that you're using both.
0: And so, um, is it? You mentioned that simulation kind of has a number of different use cases. Does an AV get better at driving different courses or different routes or facing different scenarios? The longer you run it in simulation, like is it being used as a a training the AI kind of tool, or more just as a test to see where things are?
1: Tra- training using synthetic data is still a big, uh, I would say, uh, research area. There are some definite values, and we, we've seen some of it. But generally speaking, I think if you're talking to production AVs, I think they there's still a uh, more of a question mark than uh, proven methodologies. There are definitely examples I can, I can, I can think of, but just, uh, I, I can't discuss only because of, of the confidential nature of, of our customers that where you can use synthetic data uh, for training, but in terms of testing, um, simulation is very powerful uh, because you can uh, replay scenarios again and again with updates to your AV stack. And if you're, if you've done software development, you know, it's not uh if you'll introduce regressions, it's when you introduce regressions, what do you do, and how do you identify them? And um, and that's you know we're as much of a development tool as, as anything else. So simulation is really powerful for that. Which is, uh, let's say you know um, Matthew here has a uh, you know a self-driving car uh, um, software and he's made some edits to uh, uh, you know how 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 it deals with unprotected uh, left turns or some other. Uh, uh, um, uh, parts of the av stack these are such complicated systems you just want to make sure hey all the scenarios we have kind of gone through in the in the past we're still passing right you know we haven't we're not failing in certain cases right and that's what you want the uh, simulation to really do that's something you it's just impossible to do in the real world
2: and it's sort of it's sort of an obvious point but obviously introducing a software regression into you know a, real a consumer application is does not have the same real world sort of safety consequences as introducing some sort of software regression into an AV stack, right? So that's the other sort of thing that we like to underline is, you know, sort of that consistent testing and sort of consistent development process is obviously much more sort of critical just to the, you know, the performance and also sort of long-term viability of that, of that AV provider.
1: Yeah. And our our value proposition to AV uh, developers uh, really is, the simulation itself is quite difficult, and it itself is software that needs to be maintained bug-free. And especially when you start scaling, there is a bunch of, uh, you know, work that you have to do to, to, to make sure everything kind of stays on the rails. Um, and if you, you know, our, one, of the, one of the things that we like to say is you should work on your algorithms and your AV stack, not on the underlying infrastructure. And uh, so we, you know, it's kind of like uh, if you're into photography the general view is like a good camera is one that kind of disappears into the background and allows the photographer to take photos that they are they see in their in their mind and and we you know roughly are kind of similar like our infrastructure should fall into the background and it just should help you increase your development speed
0: I think one of the big questions around using simulation, as you said, you know, you introduce a change and then you're you're testing the left-hand turns or what have you, is how do you know that that is going to translate in the real world? That if it stops for a pedestrian in the simulation, that the car will actually stop for a pedestrian in real life. How, how does that work?
1: yeah it's a, a bit of a nuanced uh, answer here uh, the, specifically around validation and verification um, the, the, the i'll I'll just go through the nuanced answer here and then and then we can dive into any any aspects uh, aspects of it. you originally you know initially you want to do careful uh, comparisons on bench tests in other words, sensors and labs uh, and then you ultimately move to specific tests in the real world, let's say your you know parking lot or and then you ultimately go against you compare your simulated uh, sensor, uh, models against real, uh, sensor, uh, uh, you know, behavior in real, in the real world. And, and I'm using sensor example, you can do the same thing for, uh, drive, uh, you know, your, your planning and, and prediction stack. Um, overall, what you want to do is you want to validate these sub models first and then move up to kind of a full system model. And it's kind of, and, and you're working back and forth. You're seeing how does this LIDAR perform, uh, you know, uh, on, 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 in the real world and our simulated scenario, what's the is there. Uh, and, and, and we really are at applied are kind of on the cutting edge of, of some of this work. So I, I don't want to get too, too deep into it. Um, but you know, uh, uh, one, 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 uh, one way to think about this again is, is you, you are validating subcomponents and then validating the full system. Um, uh, but validation is a very, very big thing, uh, with, Simulators, period, uh, and specifically also with AV simulation, we have multiple senior engineers on the on the team who've worked on validating um, simulations for things in like traditional uh, like diesel engines or or fuel injectors for uh, uh, for reg- uh, for combustion engines, and so these um, that type of experience is very very relevant because again it's a connecting the real world to the simulator world and, and going back and forth. There definitely are ways to do it. Ansys uh, and some of the I would say the you know, traditional simulation providers that are doing Computational fluid dynamics have dealt with these problems for long periods of time to- for you know decades and and have pretty compelling uh, Products and it's taking some of those methodologies and bringing them into autonomy um, But again appropriately because you know simulating radar uh, In 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 kind of the, the highest fidelity is Incredibly computationally efficient something that's almost unusable uh, for autonomous vehicle uh you know development so it's it's validation is very important as i think you your 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 question implies and uh there are there are methodologies to do it, and they all kind of uh it's 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 like uh, everything we've been talking about they're all about gradient, so you do, you it's stepping up to higher and higher fidelity
0: one of the uh hard things about autonomous vehicles and uh, testing the reliability of the performance is not knowing that if an autonomous vehicle can perform perfectly fine on a given course, you know, let's say a hundred times, you know, is it going to perform the same way, you know, the hundred and first time? Um, if something doesn't work, if it crashes or makes a mistake, you know, it's easier to say, okay, that's bad but how do you know if something's working well uh why it's working well or if it will be repeated appropriately in the future how do you think about that
1: so scenario uh uh, if i if i read the question correctly it's really about uh, specific scenarios and the repeatability of scenarios and i think this is where simulation really shines Uh, within a specific scenario uh, you know roughly what a simulator is is kind of the relationship to the dynamic objects on, in, in a, in a world on top of a map, uh, for instance, uh, an HD map in, in, in this case. Um, and so the, the scenarios uh, themselves can be structured in very deterministic ways where the agent and actors um, and the ego, the, the self-driving vehicle basically does the same thing again and again and sees if there's any changes in, in the decisions that AB made seeing the exact same scenario that it saw before. And then there are if you again it's all a gradient, so you can move to what we call intelligent actors uh, or AI actors. Uh, there's different reasons to use uh, use those, but it's it's less useful in at least from our experience in, in the in the pure kind of integration testing uh, uh use case. There are other reasons why you want intelligent actors or you want a city model um we'll get that uh get uh, into that here but yeah the the point that you're making a hundred different times in the hundred first time the way you do that is the scenario is being set up and executed exactly the same way so when something does break you can immediately debug it and understand hey what what did this what the autonomy stack differently or think differently in this time that it didn't in the last hundred times these things can be debugged Uh, i i i uh it's you know it shouldn't be just a black box i think that's the that's the real implication here is is you should be able to understand why your autonomy stack made a you know a, a certain decision
0: yeah i think you know rand came out with a study saying you know the industry would have to drive you know hundreds of millions of miles of testing avs in order to get to statistical significance on various metrics and to get a level of comfort with performance um, do you agree with that or does simulation uh, address that problem? Yeah, I mean,
1: uh, well, uh, do I agree with that as such a broad statement? So let me let me be more nuanced here. I, um, I agree simulation can play a huge role in AV development. Uh, I think that's, there's really no, it's interesting, you know, when we started the company, there were no articles about AV simulation and now it's, you know, we're doing a podcast about it. Uh, we've just seen this transition in the last couple of years, uh, uh of being in business. So that's, that's, a uh, heartening, uh, you know, heartening as a, as a, as a, as a, as a person working on a problem that, Hey, the industry recognizes this is a real problem and, and, and simulation can, uh, be a part of the solution. So generally, yes, I agree that you need lots of testing in order to prove vehicle. Now miles, it's kind of a tricky term. Uh, you could have a, a truck running, on a highway with no interesting scenario for millions of miles, and that doesn't necessarily prove anything. Uh, or billions of miles, you can just throw you know compute at it, and that doesn't necessarily mean anything. So there's something more nuanced there. Is like what what is the AV stack actually seeing? What are the scenarios scenarios they're seeing?
2: Yeah, I was just—I mean, the other way to think about it is it's it's a hundred million miles over what types of you know ODDs or sort of Some as Casper was saying scenarios, right? So is that a hundred million? Does, it, does an ego have to in simulation do 100 million miles of the same intersection for there to be 100% confidence? Obviously not, right? But it also doesn't mean 100 million miles over every single you know possible sort of environmental conditions that you could conceive of or road you know road type, etc. So it's somewhere. I guess the short answer is it, it's it's uh, miles are not an especially useful metric in some sense. It's more thinking about sort of the the edge cases and some of the more complex scenarios that, that these vehicles are going to have to navigate.
1: Yeah. We generally, again, best practices we've learned is we generally try to steer, uh, our, you know, our customers away from some of these, um, I, I don't want to say they're vanity metrics. So there's some, some value in them. Uh, so they're not completely vain. Uh, but they, they are, they're just a lot more nuanced, in the, uh, in the, you know, in the discussion now, you know, when, When there's a scenario where, you know, uh, no pun intended, when Waymo says, hey, we're at 5 billion simulated miles, this is a different audience that they're really speaking to at Google I.O. or or another, uh, you know, another conference or, or, or report. When you're talking within the industry, and I think most of the listeners here probably, you know, are in the industry and slightly more sophisticated, there's just much more of a nuanced approach than, hey, uh, let's get to a X million mile number and this, You know the stack is safe it's that's just too that's too broad of a brushstroke
0: right so between the number of miles and the number of variations of scenarios and and edge cases uh it it's probably finite but i think uh it was rand who said it's effectively infinite uh so if you can't ever really test all the different edge cases that an autonomous vehicle may ultimately encounter like how many is enough how do you think about getting to some level of you know this car has seen and, and can perform in a reasonable number of scenarios
1: yeah we i mean we think a lot about uh what you you know the scenario test coverage uh, for, for the lack of better word uh or a better description a lot um uh, with our with our customers um, I, the, so that's one high level point that's different from within, let's say a right hand turn, the, uh, permutations and combinatorial mix of behaviors that, of, 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 um, scenarios that can happen. That's probably slightly more something you can get your arm around in the sense of, let's say it's a very simple scenario, right hand turn pedestrian and crosswalk. Um, you can increment that pedestrian speed. Uh, at different increments to create a parameter sweep of of that pedestrian's behavior, but if you're incrementing by you know one one hundredth of a second, that's less useful than maybe incrementing you know maybe every point one second or every one second or every two seconds now now if now the if the question to me is well what's the right you know what's the right number there 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 is some there is some uh, statistical modeling there that that has generally uh, a, 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 a correct answer, but You as an engineer, you want very uh, hard answers for hey this is this is the increments I want in every single agent behavior, and then anything below that is useless, anything above that is useful. Um, It's 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 hard to answer that in a short sentence. Um, Now I don't uh, yeah I uh, so yeah at a high level yes you could have an infinite number of scenarios just at one intersection. I don't agree. There's an infinite number of scenarios that are useful. It's still a very high number, but infinite is a very, very big number. Uh, So there's nuance there. And if if there wasn't, um, it would be very hard for Waymo to even, you know, look at what they're doing now, and they're about to do a public test in in Arizona and Chandler. um, You know, where they've in some ways have gone through this, uh, through through this, you know, through this set of questions.
2: And certainly, it's not, you know, it's not unbounded or if, if it is sort of this very high number it's one that a lot of these AV providers are going to arrive at incrementally by sort of as Wayne was doing you know testing in an initial ODD basically IE Chandler and then it's not you know the, the set of you know possible scenarios is not unbounded there you're not going to have for instance a snowstorm right and so you don't have to account for all of those sort of um, you know the the um, you know various permeations that that sort of come with those types of scenarios so It's something, you know, the the RAND report, basically, if you were, you know, trying to build an AV or trying to build an AV company, obviously, you would look at that and be very intimidated. But the reality is that most AV providers that are doing this sort of wisely and and in an intelligent manner are sort of doing it piecemeal, right? They're doing it sort of ODD by ODD. And so when you consider that approach, it's not nearly as sort of overwhelming as saying, like, we have to account for all whatever, you know, 10 million possible permutations that existed in this single city or something.
1: And then another thing I think, well, well, you know, Matthew kind of triggered this uh, thought in my head is really, you know, you hear more and more about this. Well, how far away is autonomy? Really? This is kind of this is this, this question that gets talked about almost in every conversation. It's kind of like the adage of how long does a conversation in Silicon Valley have to happen before cryptocurrencies? Is out. <laughs> It's like half an hour of this conversation, uh, but in, in the when will AVs come up? And again, again inevitably in every AV conversation, uh, yeah. When we're talking about you know a, a completely uh, you know self-driven car on off-road in a mountain pass, you know in a, bl- in a blizzard, yeah, that's not happening anytime soon. But that's an incorrect way of thinking about autonomy. That's like saying the only way to think about mobile is the iPhone XS. And anything that happened between the Motorola Razr and the iPhone XS was illegitimate and not really mobile. And that's not true. Uh, The the first iPhone is quite revolutionary and the 3S and the 4 and the 5 and the 7 and the 8. And so, um, you know, the the, the point being is this concept of uh, incremental progress is something that is just hard for the human brain the way that we think to to really grasp. And, you know, if you look back using using the mobile analogy, if you look back, do you, do you remember thinking, wow, mobile is hair. No, you know, like most people didn't have that epiphany um, and there probably is, you know, one example that is, is probably when the smartphone tipped 50% in, uh, in you know, 2011, 12 time frame in the U.S. and you have around that time the, 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 the you know, advent of money of the powerhouse uh, mobile apps today, like, uh, you know, WhatsApp and Snapchat and Uber and uh, Instagram, etc. Um, and so I think autonomy is similar. Yeah, there were phones before uh, smartphones tipped 50%. Uh, and I don't think anybody felt in 2011, 2012, wow, the mobile age is here. But there are many people working on, on the problem set for many years before then, And then just one day you wake up and you see there, well, almost everybody has a smartphone. And it's, it's not something you, you talk about. And I think autonomy will be similar, except instead of because every, everyone already has a car. Well, many people have a car. Many people use uh, uh, mobility. Um, you're you're going to have this very incremental change where uh, you know the, the Tesla autopilot becomes much more normal. I think there's something like over 45 uh, vehicles that are coming into production. I think are in now, if I'm not mistaken, or in the next uh, uh, model year uh, that have that type of capability. GM uh, Mary Barra she said very explicitly, you know, every GM vehicle should have um, a Super Cruise, uh, which is GM's uh, version. Uh, of, of of Tesla Autopilot, ironic I think it was even started earlier than Tesla Autopilot. So it's maybe Tesla Autopilot is the GM's version of Super Cruise. But the uh, you know the point being is more, no, nobody there's no, you don't see these headlines, which is just like can you believe it? 2020 Super Cruises in every you you hear some in, in, industry insiders talk about it, but that's the type of incremental approach you'll you'll see I think in, in autonomy as well. And uh, and I think that's not not unique or, or strange. Uh, other other technical um you know ships have have, have, uh, had similar shapes right
0: let's talk a little bit about um about safety standards and you know sort of when cars should be allowed on the road you you raise the point of how it's going to be incremental uh and in part because the odd will increase for some of these vehicles as we go um Matthew, do you think that government should require some sort of standardized test perhaps in simulation for AVs before they're allowed on public roads?
2: Yeah, so our yeah, so our view is that ultimately yes, there is going to have to be some sort of, you know, third-party external validation process. And there are a lot of parallels sort of or analogies that you can think of uh, you know for this kind of external validation, whether it 's financial auditing or you know f d a drug trials or or what have you, but sort of ultimately the most useful you know mental model or analogy for thinking about this is is driving as it exists today. I mean you cannot sort of uh, under the current you know regulatory system you can 't show up to the d m b and say you know. I drove around uh, Mountain View. Uh, I didn't hit very many people. Uh, I should be able to get a license, right? And so that's sort of, you know, at the end of the day, you can draw all of these comparisons you want. But I mean, the FAA is another good example of this, right? There, there are sort of independent um, validation processes that happen for 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 the airlines for airline software. A lot of it happening in simulation. And one thing that's sort of important to stress is that, you know. This is not sort of, we view this um, as win-win in the sense that at least initially, I think the technical bar, we think that the technical bar that governments, whether it's state government or federal governments, should set to allow, you know, that a AV provider has to clear before deploying is not one that necessarily has to be super comprehensive, especially if you're doing this on an ODD by ODD sort of basis but it should be one that at least separates the quote unquote sort of unsophisticated AV providers from ones that have approached it in a really thoughtful way. And so what do I mean by unsophisticated AV providers? I don't mean, you know, startups that are trying to build, you know, a vertical AV from the ground up. A lot of those startups are very sophisticated. I'm talking about ones where uh, you get, you get a few sort of junior engineers that, you know, slap some sensors on a vehicle and want to deploy it. And there are unfortunately sort of a lot of, Um, states at this point where you could do that. And that's something that, you know, that's something that ultimately, if there's an accident, uh, it's going to set the industry back from a very sort of unsophisticated, quote unquote, unsophisticated AV provider, that's going to set the industry back quite a few years. And so the the intention of setting some sort of, you know, technical bar or external validation bar that that these AV providers have to clear is not to hinder innovation at all. In fact, from our perspective, it's going to accelerate it in the sense that, uh, you know it'll increase consumer confidence it's going to increase confidence on the part of regulators and then also I mean just from a purely sort of competitive standpoint, a lot of these you know AV providers are basically be able to say don't take our word for it that our vehicle is safe. We've passed some sort of standardized test
0: so what would a what would a test look like i mean i I think sometimes testing it or having standards is sort of easier said than done. Um, you know, you look at NHTSA and and they're having trouble figuring out, I think, even how to write a federal safety standard for autonomous vehicles. And so how, what would the test look like and how would you know if, if an AV passed it?
2: Yeah, so, uh, I mean, this is where, you know, simulation is obviously a, a very important tool. Um, And, you know, at least initially, as I was saying, I think the way that you would approach this is you have sort of a base, you know, set of scenarios that, again, everyone should be able to pass. And it's worth sort of emphasizing here that the thing that's interesting, I think one of the things that, you know, NHTSA and DOT is sort of struggling with, and and we've met with with the Department of Transportation several times at this point and, and think very highly of them, you know, one of the internal sort of paradigm shifts that's happening for them is obviously the FMVSS. A lot of those standards, actually, this was shocking when I, I used to work in D.C. In, in 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 policy, and so I can I can very much empathize with this. But you know, one of the paradigm shifts that's occurring is basically a lot of those standards that currently exist under the FMVSS. I didn't realize this, but they some of them take anywhere between twenty four and thirty six months to actually develop. When you're talking about testing, you know, ten thousand scenarios obviously you can't spend, you know, 24 to 36 months sort of <laughs> developing each of those, right? You just do the math and, and you're talking about, you know, tens of thousands of years of, of coming up with some sort of overarching regulatory framework. So, you know, returning to your question, I think the easiest way to do it obviously is I think, you know, industry, ultimately we believe that industry can find consensus around what are some of these, you know, call it, you can even call it sort of the thousand most basic scenarios that every AV should be able to navigate turn, you know, turn right on red with a pedestrian crossing, uh, merge onto a three lane highway, something like, you know, some scenarios like that. And then you just start there. And then as you either, you know, change ODDs or want to make the test more comprehensive, you can add in more parameters. You can add in more scenarios. Uh, but at the very least, you know, let's start with something sort of basic, right? And that's not, we don't think that's an especially difficult sort of technical problem or policy coordination problem, and again, I say this as, you know, somebody who spent years in D.C. sort of working on policy coordination issues, Uh, you know, I think this is something that ultimately a lot of people are going to be able to get behind um, because it is, you know, it it is a sort of safety critical
1: issue. I I would add, um, I I would add on to that that one important way to think about policy really is um, you kind of have guardrails uh, on one side you don't want regular and i think probably maybe the you know important side especially if you're capitalists like many of us are you don't want regulatory uh the regulatory environment to hinder um, innovation especially in a globally uh you know uh, in a global marketplace where we are uh, as the we as in the Amer- uh, the american uh, av ecosystem is competing Against the European and Asian uh, uh, AV systems uh, ecosystems, so we don't want to have such or, uh, you know reg- such uh, such strict regulations. You're actually uh, you know hindering American companies. And the other end, uh, the other guardrail is you don't want to have such lax rules that if somebody uh, you know some really uh, unfortunate situation happens where where you know a car careens into a crowd or something like that. And multiple people are injured and and or even die, then that will get a negative reaction from um, from the general public, and rightfully so. And so, um, I think in some ways the industry um, was was you know kind of kind of made it through the Uber incident without too many you know uh, scars, but they, they can be a, a real blowback. Um, and so. This is something that we, as an industry, can come together and agree on, and uh, and it, it's, I think it's something that needs to be addressed. It, it's, it's one of these cases where everyone kind of wants to ignore it and hoping that it'll just work out. But I think it's that assumption is as ludicrous as saying is everyone should just be able to drive. You know, we trust them; they're citizens, and we don't we don't we don't do that. We don't do that, and and not only do we not do that, we also have traffic police. Uh, in order to uh, uh, monitor. And so there is a medium, uh, a middle ground, which uh, allows us to compete on an international platform, uh, international marketplace, I should say, but at the same time uh, gives some assurances that, you know, there's some minimum bar that's hit. Uh,
0: Yeah, you've definitely articulated the regulatory challenge, um, you know, but in this country, you know, NHTSA has uh, not, taken an approach that involves pre-market approval for motor vehicles, right? We have a self-certification regime here which says, we'll tell you what the standards are, and you companies go ahead and, and self-certify that you meet them, and then the government has some ways to, to take things off the market if you really didn't meet the standard. But NHTSA, with respect to autonomous vehicles, has said, it, you know, it's really not going to change this general regulatory framework where they're not testing cars before they're on the road. But it sounds like having this sort of a a, a safety test would require uh, government action before cars are, are sold or Perhaps even before they're tested on public roads, is that fair? Well, I,
1: I mean, I think I think the I mean, uh, so at a high level, the, the, there there are certainly requirements for things like, say, your uh you know lane keep system or uh, uh, any lock braking system or your seat belt or your airbag. You have to you have to hit uh, certain um, requirements. Now, the point being there, these are mature products that are generally commodities. So there's, they're very, a very well known problem set. And that's why their self-regulation becomes a lot, a lot easier. Um, but you know, entire companies, Takata being the most you know clear example and, and recently have, have gone under when they fail to, to, uh, to, to, to develop something that's, uh, you know, hits, uh, hits consumer standards. And so I think long term that might be the case. Uh, I think it's right now we're in a, we're in a, a, a real gray area. Again, the key point being, um, well, you, you can you can look at the automotive industry as, as again as an analogy. In the early 1900s, um, there were lots of uh, coach makers, and this is when a lot of the uh, modern you know uh, uh, regulatory and rule frameworks existed. Whether that's stop signs and speed limits, I mean, it's not a coincidence. The signs are all made similar and we have rules of what type of vehicle is allowed to be on the road in America and not allowed to be on the road in America. So there are, there, it's, it's, not, it's not completely wild to think that there are going to be some basic uh, rules. Now, hardware is tested very differently. It's tested on physical tracks because there's a physical component that has to be tested. And now software is different. Uh, and the right, the way you test software is using more software. Uh, And because it's just the the sheer complexity, the complex nature, a seatbelt is very different uh, in terms of testing than, um, you know, than than an AV uh, stack. So we're entering the analogies, again, are just analogies. You you can't take them, you know, one for one because they're different systems. And so in this case where you have software, which is very, very complicated um, and, and, uh, you know, and and generally being approached by, you know, different companies in different ways. And again, the Matthew point of, imagine if you just have a company that, you know, companies like Waymo and Uber uh, have a lot on the line in terms of brands. Uh, they're, they, they're consumer brands, that they, and that, I think, keeps them in check. But imagine if you're not one of those companies, and uh, there's a lot of financial upside for you to take real risks. I mean, they're, uh, I'm not the first person to say that there are certainly self-driving car companies out on the roads today that are testing without any sort of, approval or, or, um, you know, uh, uh, uh what is it? Self-reporting. Yeah. And so that's scary. You know, that's scary. Um, and I think if you're a, if you're, if you are a company like Waymo or Uber or uh, cruise, you want some minimum standard. And again, it's not to create an anti-competitive environment, but it's just say, let's have some base, some base standards. So not everyone can just Uh, you know, go down to autonomous stuff and uh, buy a vehicle with sensors on it and say, hey, we have a self-driving car.
2: I think what's interesting too, just to add on to that point is one of the things that we've seen is it's actually not just regulators and consumers that sort of have more confidence in this sort of external validation system. If you talk to a lot of, and the engineers in the audience will sort of appreciate this, but if you talk to a lot of engineers, they'll tell you that there are obviously risks associated with self-certification, namely sort of overfitting. And you can imagine some of the sort of not conflict of interest problems, but you certainly have these, uh, you know, it's much harder if you are trying to sort of self-certify and self-regulate, uh, to claim that, you know, the, the, the system has sort of been fully verified to the same extent it would be if it was in the hands of a third party.
1: Yeah. I mean, simple, simple point would be like, when is the last time you saw a blog post from an AV company that's saying, Hey, uh, we're just not there yet. Uh, and there are, there are founders, some the, that are out there that say, hey, that's, that we're still working on some fundamental problems. But, uh, generally speaking, it's, everything is really great news and, and really, really positive. Uh, I, I think, I think, um, the concept that, that Matthew really highlighted about uh, overfitting, I think is, is really true. Uh, if you, uh, if you have a, if you have a, uh, you know, in-house team, um, testing your own software, there is, there's incentive. There's this human incentive uh, to, uh, you know, the, the working in an organization to say like, let's let's let generate tests based on the way that we look at the world, and therefore the tests are 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 corrupt is too strong a word, but they're influenced. Right. Because,
0: confirmation bias, I think. Yeah. Is, and it, not it, even, is not
2: even, word. not even. Yeah, not even in a. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. I was say just not even in a nefarious way. I mean, this yeah. is this is just something that happens naturally through the engineering process, right? Sure.
0: All right. Well, I have a final question for you guys. You've raised a series A. I assume you're hiring. What kinds of engineers are you looking for? So uh,
1: you can go to uh, our website, uh, applied.co, or if you, can, if you can do applied intuition. Intuition is just tough to type into the <laughs> URL bar. Uh, applied.co or appliedintuition.com, uh, we have a careers page, and I think there's something like 10 or 12 uh, job postings there. They're very specific, so uh, at a high level – Um, you know, we are looking for software engineers. That's really our bread and butter. Uh, especially, you know, we, we, we have a lot of Google blood or I should say alphabet blood inside the company. And, um, so, you know, um, you know, folks who are senior engineers, I think we really gravitate towards because, uh, uh, it's funny, you know, this is my third startup and I, I, I don't know if it's, because i work I'm working on progressively more difficult things or because I'm getting older but uh the yeah, the engineers also that we're looking for are more and more senior uh they're they're very specialized um but yeah I think in general we're looking for software engineers I think we're now also at a size that we there are generalists we are looking for uh so if you know if you're listening to this and you're an engineer and uh you want to work uh at a company which is you know uh growing and making an impact uh in the in the autonomy space, uh, we'd love to hear from you. We have a Detroit office as well. So. Yeah, exactly. If yeah. you're in Detroit, uh, that's also uh, and and broadly speaking, uh, Japan, Korea, and Germany as well uh, are, are are places we are actively building presences in. So so um, you know if you uh, if you fall into any of those categories, they're pretty broad. But uh, if you fall into those categories, you know we'd love to hear from you. And we're in other ways, we're very traditional you know, Silicon Valley software company in, in, in the sense that, you know, uh, uh, all the positive things I think that uh, uh, I, I, uh, a nimble company has to offer, uh, which is when you write software, customers immediately use it, um, you know, and working among a really a competent group of people I think is probably the most compelling thing and um, technically interesting problems is probably the most compelling thing beyond just the, hey, these are the job descriptions and do you have the skills that meet, meet these job descriptions.
0: Great. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Really appreciate it.
1: Yes, thank you. Thank you. you, Michelle. Yeah, thank you for having us. All right. Take care.
0: Thanks again to Kassar and Matthew for joining us. We'll put a link to the Applied Intuition website and some other information in our show notes, which you can find on our Medium publication called Smarter Cars. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.